Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. Sometimes it pays to be impulsive. When on the road, it's always good to keep your eyes open and your microphone in hand. This tactic paid off when I was traveling the overseas highway in Key Largo and saw a sign for the African Queen Steamboat Tours. For those too young to know, the African Queen is an iconic vessel made famous in the 1951 movie of the same name, starring Humphrey Bogart and Katharine Hepburn. Set in East Africa during World War I, the adventure film is about a gin-swilling Canadian riverboat captain who is persuaded by a straight-laced English missionary to undertake a trip up a treacherous river and use his boat to attack a German gunship. Mostly they spent their time fighting, but ultimately fell in love. The film was a box office hit, and Bogart won his only Academy Award for Best Actor. How'd you like it? Like it? White water, rapid. I never dreamed. I don't blame you for being scared, miss, not one little bit. Ain't no person in their right mind ain't scared of white water. I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so stimulating. How's that, miss? I've only known such excitement a few times before. I jumped at the chance to get up close and immerse myself in this incredible piece of history. As it turned out, they had a tour within 15 minutes and one seat left on the boat. Lucky me. I met Captain David Lawrence, and in addition to his captain's duties, he gives a detailed history of the boat. The boat was actually built in Lytham, Lytham St. Anne's in England, and that was a, a, a build in 1912. These boats were used primarily to take hunting parties and supplies and missionaries throughout the remote areas of the Congo. The boat was owned by the British East Africa Railroad Company. So you'd come off the a rail and move the road here down to the dock and get on these boats and go to the remote areas. Captain Dave is also quite the expert on the movie as well. He starts the tour by showing photographs taken during the filming of the movie and sharing stories from Katherine Hepburn's book titled The Making of the African Queen or How I Went to Africa with Bogart, Bacall, and Houston and Almost Lost My Mind. The title alone shows Hepburn's sense of humor. So here's some pictures from Katherine's book. It shows them flying in. There's an aircraft back here. It's Catherine Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart, and his wife. So that's Bogie and Bacall. Here's John Houston. He's the director. It was the perfect day for a tour. The ride itself was very relaxing. Captain Dave navigates the water with precision and talks about points of interest along the way. We're in the canal system here in uh, Key Largo. This is Key Largo Harbor Marina. We'll travel here to the corner and turn right at, and head right out into the Atlantic. We go out there briefly. People enjoy getting some pictures and uh, seeing the wildlife. And occasionally we see manatee and a lot of birds. And uh, it's a little bit of a tour of boats and houses. If you're interested in what's going on here in Key Largo, this is a great way to see Key Largo by water. African Queen outbound at the corner. I heard during the filming of the movie this, this boat sank like once or twice, isn't that correct? Yes, I, I learned about that from Katherine Hepburn's book that she, she told the stories of what took place while she was making the movie there in the Belgian Congo on Lake Albert. They went on holiday and did a little hunting and uh, an excursion and they, they hired up some locals to watch the boat and they didn't realize that uh, they had to bail the boat out. 
So they got back from uh, the safari, only to learn that the boat sank on the side of the river. And they asked the uh, folks they hired up, what happened? We hired you to watch the boat. And they said, we did. We watched it sink. So there was a communication problem there. And that's a quote from her book, which is she's pretty clever with uh, her humor. And she went on to add in, in their defense that uh, their boats were made out of logs and that uh, filled with water they would submerge but they wouldn't sink to the bottom so it's a communication problem no doubt and heavy rains back at the dock with the steam engine quiet i seize the opportunity to ask dave a few questions i start by inquiring how a boat captain with years of experience navigating the ocean in yachts fishing charters and tour cruises found his way to the african queen a 30-foot steamboat built of riveted sheet iron I was working for uh, Captain Lance Homequest and his wife Suzanne, and that was on the Pirate's Choice. And one day, Captain Lance said, how about running a powerboat? And uh, I said, well, show me what you have. And he walked me down the dock, and here sits the, uh, the African Queen. And I started laughing. I never thought in my lifetime I would be on the African Queen. <laughs> and that was uh, really quite a, an honor. Tell me a little bit of history about this boat, like where it originated from and what its original intent was. She was located in the Congo on the border of Uganda in a place called Lake Albert, where she worked carrying missionaries and hunting parties and supplies to the remote areas in the Congo. So as a working boat, she worked before and after the movie, and the, the movie took place there at that location, and they also filmed in a studio back in, in England. Describe the boat for me, where we're standing and its construction. All right, well, she's 32 feet long. Uh, she's heavy because she's made out of iron. She's built in 1912, similar to uh, Titanic, and uh, iron workers put these boats together, and she's very stable. She, she draws about three feet, and she's got a heavy-weighted keel, and she works here. It's a perfect place here. She's rivers and lakes. She's not ocean-going. Originally, she was steam. I saw you turn on the steam engine. Yes, she was uh, in 1912 when she was built. She had a proper steam engine. By 51, 1951, they made the movie, and they had to find a proper steam engine as a prop as well as a boiler. So she's more historically correct now than she was when they made the movie in 1951. Every component is actually bolted into the boat. Tell me how the director, John Houston, found the boat? Well, John Houston loved to hunt, and part of the reason I believe that they went to Africa so he could go on safari with the film crew, his buddy Humphrey Bogart and uh, other people. Uh, I know that uh, we have pictures showing Ernest Hemingway there. He wasn't in the movie, but he showed up because of the adventure. He loved adventure, and he found the boat there. He said, this is perfect vessel. It's built in 1912. The movie was set in that time frame, 1912. So that worked out great. The movie was filmed on location. According to Catherine Hepburn's book, she said they were there three months and about average temperature of 85 degrees and dealing with the, the elements of being on the continent of Africa it must have been uh, pretty difficult that time of year. And then after the movie, it went back to its regular service. When did she start to make her journey? Like, when did that end and she start to make her journey this way? Well, by 1968, they're ready to change the fleet out and update everything. So the boat went uh, on the auction block and 
I don't think many people showed up. She uh, she sold for not a lot of money, seven hundred and fifty dollars, I understand, in another what? another vessel. An Englishman bought the boat, and then uh, he was approached days later by a fellow named Fred Reeves, who was from San Francisco, and he made an offer and was able to get the boat shipped to San Francisco. And I believe that's what saved the vessel the first time because of the notoriety of the film industry. This is one of the earliest Technicolor films, and people watch that film. I understand it was a million dollar budget, and she grossed 4.5, so it was a huge success for that time frame. And they stored the boat for a while and then sold it, and it went up into the Sun River, where she worked successfully in Oregon, in the Sun River. And then once again, she came up for sale, and a fellow by the name of Hal Bailey from, uh, or from up in uh, Ocala was able to acquire the boat. And then uh, once again, she came up for sale. I was talking to uh, Jim Hendricks, Jr. His father bought the boat. Uh, he owned the Holiday Inn at that time here at mile marker 100, and that's where the boat's going to be positioned uh, and, and permanently docked. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it went into some disrepair. I know it sunk a couple times during the filming of the movie. What, what were some of the things that had to be done to the boat that you know of to get it back to where it is now? After Mr. Hendricks passed on, he left the boat in the African Queen Trust, and it was here on display. And uh, a clever fellow by the name of Captain Lance Homequest and his wife Suzanne uh, made arrangements with the family and the trust to be able to recommission the boat. And that just happened to be around her centennial in 2012. So I believe in 11, they started uh, working on the vessel and put it in a boatyard and, and uh, made sure she was uh, seaworthy and uh, commissioned. And she's been working here ever since. So, uh, yeah, this is amazing to be on a boat that's 110 years old. I mean, I can't think of another, uh, I don't know whether to say private vessel or not, that would be 110 years old and still operational. So you said it best earlier that this is part of boat tour, part of history tour, and film history. So yeah. it's, it's quite an adventure all in one. Yeah, it's a museum afloat. It's quite an honor to be captain on this vessel. The African Queen from the movie is the original hull. She's been repowered many times. Some wood has been replaced. There's some original African mahogany on the gunnel. It's really quite a, a nice ride. If you get into Key Largo, look us up and uh, be happy to take you out. Continuing my lucky streak, the captain told me I could find Jimi Hendrix Jr. inside the Holiday Inn. He's the son of the third owner who bought the boat in 1982. We sat down in the hotel's restaurant and I asked Jimmy how his father came across the African Queen. Well, he found it in the Miami Herald. We owned the Holiday Inn in Key Largo back then, and he was sitting on the back porch at the house reading the Miami Herald, and there was an article in the paper about the African Queen being mired in mud and rusting away on a polo farm in Ocala, Florida. So uh, he drove to Ocala, and they literally had to dig the trailer it was sitting on out of the mud to get the boat on the road. So that was an adventure in itself. What possessed him to want to do that? Well, I think he had an infatuation with Catherine Hepburn. Oh, okay. But uh, we were building the last unit of hotel rooms there. It was, was going to be a 34-room building. And uh, he went up, and he looked at the African Queen, and the gentleman owned it was a guy by the name of Hal Bailey, and... He said, well, I've got $65,000 in the boat, and I'll, I'll sell it for that. 
And Dad says, well, that's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. And he got back in his car and drove to Key Largo. Well, in the meantime, the building inspector had been here and said, well, we're only going to approve 32 rooms. They're not going to let you build 34. And he says, you can't do this. We've already funded the loan and everything. Dad called his banker, and the banker said, Jim, don't worry about it. These things happen all the time. He said, just put the money into something sensible. So back in 1982, something sensible was the African queen. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> in his mind. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. What kind of condition was it in, like, that you had to put money back into it for restoration? We are the third American owners of the boat. Uh, the boat was shipped from Nairobi to San Francisco while it was on the freighter coming from Nairobi to San Francisco, they stole all the equipment off the boat. That guy didn't know what to do with it. So then enter Hal Bailey, who bought it, and he had something to do with a cider mill in Oregon. So he put a cider mill boiler and a single-cylinder st steam engine in the boat and ran trips on it on the Deschutes River in Oregon. And he said, hey, this is a pretty good idea. This is a good way to make a living. He says, I'll move to Florida. So he moved to Florida, and he got down here, and the Coast Guard said, don't even put that thing in the water. You'll kill somebody. <laughs> so anyway, hence it ending up as being a judging stand on his polo farm in Ocala. Dad got it. We researched what would have been in the boat when it was built in 1912, and that's the equipment that's sitting in it today. The boiler is a replica of an 1890s vintage Kingdon, and the uh, engine is a what they call an expansion engine, and it's a Sisson, S-I-S-S-O-N, and both are 1890s vintage. Um, they, they're both British descendants, so the Coast Guard let us get away with doing the British engine, but we had to have somebody in America build the boiler. So your father acquired it. He fixed it up. Tell me, because now it's 110 years old. Right. Give me the lowdown on what happened for the 100th anniversary. Well, my, my father had passed away about 10 years prior, and uh, I have three sisters and didn't want me to put any money into the boat to restore it, so I, I leased it to Lance and Suzanne, who agreed to restore it. And they had it had her up and going for her 100th year anniversary, and we had a little party here where they gave away some plated plates of steel that you know they took, had to cut out of the boat because they were deteriorated. We had a nice little festival. Key Largo got the Bogart Film Festival down here, and Stephen Bogart came down, Bogey's son, so he rode on the boat a couple of times and just absolutely loved it, said he felt like he was riding on a movie set the whole time. So It is um, a movie set. It is a, it, it is a movie so cool. set. Yeah. What's the future of the boat? I mean, she, she runs fine. It was great. The ride was wonderful. You'll just keep... Uh, We're going to continue your... doing tours. I've kind of been talking to the... I don't want the boat to go there, but it needs to go to the Mystic Seaport and do a, a proper restoration on the boat, meaning uh, go back with the riveted steel instead of welded steel, and and they have the talent up there to do that. I don't know when, but that's my grand plan with the boat is to do a uh, remodel, not a remodel, what a repurpose of the boat and right. have it restored to original condition. Then we'll, life, her life will go on. I don't mean to sound ignorant, but I know that buildings can be part of National Register of Historic Places. Has she been deemed in any kind of she's registry? A, she's a historic landmark in Florida, but it, it's kind of a idiom because she's a movable historic landmark. <laughs> she's not even on land. Yeah. <laughs>
That but is there, ironic. There, there is a sign out in the middle of the highway that says African Queen, and it makes you do a U-turn and yeah. come over here. Yeah, I know. I saw that sign. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, thank you. You're welcome. That was Jimi Hendrix Jr. and Captain David Lawrence giving us insight into the history and journey of the iconic African Queen. Another famous vessel built in 1912 is the ill-fated Titanic. And while this ship is at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, you can relive its history at the Titanic Artifact Exhibition in Orlando. But be warned, it's said to be haunted. This story is from the pages of Charlie Carlson's book, Strange Florida 2. Titanic, hunting the spirits of the ill-fated ship in Florida. Tour guide and medium Susan Thompson used to begin her nightly ghost tour of the Titanic exhibition in Orlando by telling guests about a magnificent British luxury liner. The big ship was the largest and fastest of the time and carried the wealthiest of passengers, 2,000 to be exact. When the huge ocean liner struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic, she sank in a matter of hours, taking over 1,200 passengers to a watery grave. You're probably thinking of the Titanic that sank in April 1912, but in this case, it never happened, except in a story written by American author Morgan Robinson 14 years before the Titanic sank. The name of the ship in Robinson's story was the Titan. The uncanny parallel between Robinson's prophetic story and what actually happened to the Titanic is enough to raise goosebumps on the staunchest of skeptics. According to what Thompson says, the Orlando attraction may be haunted by spirits of the ship. It wasn't just me, she said. All the tour guides and even many of our tour guests experience things that can only be explained as spirits. Indeed, other tour guides have confirmed the sightings inside the 17-room attraction. The ghost tours were always at night after the regular crowd had left, explained Thompson, who recalled the after-hours ghost tour was as popular with tourists as the main exhibit tour. Okay, so what are Titanic ghosts doing in Florida? My guess is that they came attached to some of the artifacts displayed in the museum-like exhibition. But the former tour guide says that's not it. They're most likely attracted to the actors at the exhibit who portray personalities that went down with the ship. In its realistic scenes, the attraction uses professional actors, many of whom have an uncanny resemblance to certain passengers and known crew members. Have you ever felt like you're being watched? asked Thompson. That was a common feeling for the tour guides. She recalled how on several tours, guests and staff members had seen a lady in a long brown dress standing up on the gangway waving at the guests. On other occasions, various poltergeist-like phenomena was observed, like feelings of being touched, lights that would act up, sounds of footsteps, and objects being moved by unseen forces. One example happened inside the gift shop when several people witnessed a glass vase floating off the shelf and allegedly hang suspended in midair. It was an expensive piece of glassware, recalled Thompson. I didn't want it to break, so I grabbed it. The guests could see it floating, but could not see the little spirit girl who was playing with it. We called her Catherine, and she became well-known around the exhibit. Several people actually saw her. One actress at the exhibit remembers sitting on a couch in one of the scenes and having a small child's hand reach out from behind. At first, she thought it was the child from the tour group, 
only to find out that there were no children, unless, perhaps, it was Catherine, the little spirit girl. A check of the Titanic's third-class passenger list shows a Catherine Johnston, a little girl who went down with the ship. Several paranormal investigative teams have checked the place out. A paranormal team from Jacksonville left a recorder in one of the rooms while they checked out other areas. Later, when the recording was played back, they heard distinct footsteps and voices on the tape. Yet no one had been in the room during the recording. One former tour guide told about seeing a dark shadow in the shape of a man moving back and forth on an overhead gangplank. Susan confirmed that a moving shadow was often seen in the location by both tour guides and guests. No doubt a restless ghost, she said, adding that when some managers closed down the exhibit at night, they often had a feeling of being watched and frequently reported sounds of footsteps that seemed to be chasing them out of the room. Tour guests would often see a green light shaped like a cross next to a picture of Bruce Ismay president of the White Star Line. Actually, the green light turned out to be the reflections of a lighted exit sign, explained Thompson. But even after I told them what it was, many refused to believe it. Bruce Ismay was faulted for reducing the number of lifeboats on the Titanic. He survived to regret his ill-fated decision. His spirit has made an appearance a few times. One gentleman on the tour using a cell phone camera captured the image of an apparition in two pictures. The pictures were examined by staff members who confirmed the image was indeed that of Bruce Ismay. In one room, known as the Harland and Wolf Shipyard Room, where guests can experience the Titanic's construction period, the apparition of a young boy has been seen. At first, I thought he was one of the actors portraying a crew member, remarked Thompson. Several other former staff members claimed to have seen this apparition. For the lack of a name, we called him Danny, said Thompson. But here's what's so strange. At the Harlan and Wolf shipyard in Ireland, there are allegedly two spirits of workers who were killed during the building of Titanic. One of their names is Danny. The Titanic exhibit in Orlando has changed names and ownership since Thompson worked there. But is it still haunted? Who knows? You'll have to find out for yourself by visiting the attraction. Even if you fail to see a spirit, you'll step back in time to experience a realistic history lesson about one of the world's greatest human tragedies. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more Strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please join our SoFlo Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. As a fan of the SoFlo Weird Show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Here's Michelle to tell you how you can join our team. Are you a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlo Weird Street Team. Get free stickers and represent us on social media with the hashtag SoFloWeirdStreetTeam. Just send us a message on social media or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team and our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, 
Then go on our website, pick up some SoFlow swag, or buy us a coffee, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Thanks, Michelle. The SoFlow team is happy to give a shout-out to Kathy Spain DeMarinus of Port Orange, who has just joined the SoFlow Weird Street team. Thanks, Kathy, for showing some love for this podcast. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlow Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.